What makes random tables useful? And should a GM really be using them for their prep? What benefits come from using random tables to set up our game? Hello Rescuers! Welcome back to Roleplay Rescue, the show about finding a route back to playing tabletop roleplaying games. My name is Che Webster and I'm what's laughingly referred to as your host. A few weeks ago I started listening to a new Anchor podcast, albeit that I was very late to the party. And about three episodes in, the host got onto the topic of GMs using random tables to help prep their game. I immediately reached out and arranged an online chat focused on just that topic. I wanted to know more. Unfortunately, due to various technical problems, we were forced onto our phones recording using the Anchor app. That said, while the recording isn't too sharp, the conversation was fascinating and I couldn't resist sharing it anyway. This is episode 404, Talking Random Tables with Dave Aldridge. Dave Aldridge is an indie OSR anchorite podcaster and the voice behind the D Percentile podcast. He describes himself as being a big fan of all things rules light, as well as expressing a preference for random tables, procedurally generated dungeons, and all things low prep. Dave is a philosopher of education working within a prestigious British university, a noted editor and author in various journals, and also, by all accounts, a family man and all-round good egg. Welcome and thank you for coming on the show, Dave. Uh, yeah, thanks very much for having me. Um... Yeah, cheers, Che. <laughs> so what do you prefer, player or GM? I really prefer GM. Um, uh, I'm, I'm very happy to play. I always enjoy myself when I've got involved in a game. But the real, the real itch that I've got to scratch is GMing. And mm. that's the bit, if I go a long period of time, that's what I'm missing. I'm missing GMing. All right, okay. I like being in the moment. I like, uh, I like making decisions on the spot. Um, in, interestingly, I was listening to your to your podcast about um, gaming with young people, and at one point you said something like one in ten, one in ten might might display the inclination towards being a GM, uh-huh. um, and I've always found it to be much the other way round. <laughs> Whenever I go somewhere, there, there seems to be a room full of GMs and no players. You know, the players want to stay with their local group a lot of the time, right? Um, but hey, I don't know. It's just my experience. <laughs> so um, you're talking about like you know when you don't get to do it, it's a problem. So what is the big barrier then to getting the game? Oh uh, well, so yeah, what what happens? Um, I've I've had um, up until about a couple of years ago, I had a I had a good group going, um, and there were a, there were a few of us meeting pretty regularly. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I think that life, life gets in the way, doesn't it? My, my, my job is pretty demanding. So I go through these phases where I can't think about much, much else. So it's quite, it's quite often me, actually. I have to say mm. my players are often quite keen to carry on. I go through these periods where I just can't, you know, I look, I look, I look ahead in my calendar. I realise I can't really do anything for a few months. Mm. Um, so that's, that's the sad thing. Although I, I, I lament the loss of these groups. It's usually me that's 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 run out of um run out of time really it's why i um which is why i like coming up with low prep 
solutions. So they're mm. pretty much all I've got to find in the week is the time to play. Uh, and I, 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 try, I try and do my prep in about the time that it takes to watch Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> if, you're, if you're spending more time prepping than that, uh, well, you, great if you've got the time, but I haven't. Right, so about an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> okay. You got any particular tips on how you, you know, crowbar it into an hour and a half? Well, um, so you just have to know how much time you've got. I mean, the, the, you you can sit down an hour and a half and not do very much. And that's fine if you think that you've got another hour and a half the next night <laughs> or the next night. Um, but if you haven't, also, I think um, we always over-prepare. Um, or at least that's my experience. I always over-prepare. So some things I do, um, I design dungeon rooms and then I have a dungeon map, but I don't assign the rooms to the map. Right. So I don't, I don't, um, I don't plan to fill all of the rooms. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I might have some room dressing prepared. The Black Hat's got some quite good guidance on that. I might have some room dressing prepared if it looks like I'm going to start running out of rooms, but I really do. Um, and then I'll, I'll quite often, I'll have a room. And as the players move into rooms, I will drop in what it seems like should happen as they move around the dungeon. And of course, the players don't know any difference. Um, so they... They have the experience still of their choices mattering, whether they went left or right. Um, but actually, whether they went left or right, I was probably going to drop that next room in anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, well, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be keen to hear what people think about that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, fantastic. The quantum room. Yeah, 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 that's it. <laughs> so at this point, the sound dropped and dave missed my question which was you know when did you get back into the games was it in the 1980s here's his answer yes so i i started gaming in the mid to late 80s okay. um i talk about it on one of the podcasts actually i i used to play i used to play the fighting fantasy game books i used to scour the library for them yeah and i picked up the riddling reaver thinking it was just another one of those um took it home and gradually sort of understood what this experience was that was being described. Mm. Um, that really is a fantastic, that is still, that's still, Reeling Reaver still has pride of place, place on my shelf. Um, it's a complete campaign. I still think it's one of the best complete campaign books you can find. Um, it was an absolute inspiration to me. Yeah, and I didn't play Dungeons and Dragons at the time. Didn't play Dungeons and Dragons until perhaps the late 90s. Right. Uh, played a lot of Palladium. Oh, uh, yes, yeah, sunk on. sunk a lot of time into Palladium, <laughs> which, which I mean, there, there was some that was a very quirky system with some yeah. very particular preoccupations. It was always defining itself against Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, um, and then I then I got hold of the story, the you know the the World of Darkness games, and that's pretty yeah. much what we played throughout the nineties. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much what everyone played during the nineties. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you got any particularly dark moments in your role-playing past that you um, mind sharing? Dark moments. Yeah, you uh, know those worst moments, or <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We've um, so well when you've when you've got a group you've been gaming with for some time 
the sessions can go to some interesting places. We've had all sorts of things happen in our sessions. I'm interested to see how people, or to hear how people run um, Apocalypse World. Right. We have had some, we've had some interesting times playing Apocalypse World, which of course has sexual intercourse between the characters written into the rules. Right. Um, so sessions of Apocalypse World have got very interesting and, and <laughs> creative. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a bit, to be honest, I'm a bit nervous about touching Apocalypse World now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've never really tried it or even particularly paid much attention. So nearest I've got is Dungeon World. Um, and Yochai Gao keeps trying to persuade me to play, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and Dungeon World is fantastic. But it, and, and Apocalypse World to me could be fantastic. I just, you know, locking locking sexual intercourse into the mechanics is a, is an interesting choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to say to that. Just, <laughs> let that one hang out there. You are um, the dark dark moments. Yeah, there were there were some dark moments there. <laughs> okay. Well, look, our Rollplay Rescue is all about getting people back to the table. So yeah. I always like to ask, you know, have you got any particular tips for people coming back to the hobby? Yeah. So I and and here here we we may disagree about things because I I, I hear you spend a lot of time on World Anvil doing your world building. I listened to your World Anvil interview. I thought that was yeah. really interesting. But but one of my tips is just yeah, and, and, and before I say this, I will preface, of course, we've all got our own worlds that we are building. I've got a particular fantasy world, which I'm, you know, building up with stuff over, over time. It's a sort of mm -hmm. clockwork punk setting. But my advice is don't don't world build. Um, if you think of something cool, it needs to be something cool for your next session. So I never save anything. If I have a really cool idea, it's going in the next session because I always, I, I never take for granted that there's going to be a session after the next session. Mm. So I don't hold back. Um, anything which is cool enough to be in the world is cool enough to, to have in that next session. That's my biggest bit of advice, really. Don't save mm. anything. Don't have all these cool, wonderful mysteries waiting to be discovered, you know, <laughs> several levels down the line because I never get to them. Yeah. Yeah. I was chatting to a guy today, actually, he's, um, he's come to the conclusion that you can run a long term campaign in the world, but you have to break it down into two, four, six session kind of chunks for people. Right. You know, I thought that was an interesting approach. You know, sort of saying, I've got this adventure the last two sessions, or I've got another one, I might go four, you know, can we all gear up to that? I thought that was an interesting idea. It probably yes. gels with what you said. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we did play. We played a long fifth ed campaign where what the what the players wanted was to get to level twenty. That was their that was their aim. So they were kind of in, they were kind of in for it. Um, but in, but in yeah, in in general. Um, so I like what the, I like what the black hack does. The black hack recommends that you have these very very small hex crawls. Yeah, um, and you can build a you can build a world world out of sort of you know piling a few very very small hex crawls together yeah um, but i'm but i'm never thinking in terms of 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 big epic um arcs that are going to happen over over a couple of years of of gaming um okay well um i have sort of two things that i wanted to chat about um one <laughs> of them this whole idea of using random stuff to help with gm prep 
um, which I think is a big theme that I really wanted to pick up on. Yeah. Um, I also kind of touch on your philosopher background a little bit as well. Is kind of just what do you think makes role-playing games kind of particularly rich human experience? So I know that you're quite concerned with, you know, people's actual experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I wrote a chapter about this once. I don't know if you came across that. I wrote a chapter for a for a uh, an edited collection on Dungeons and Dragons and philosophy. Mm-hmm. There were actually two of them. Yeah. Uh, and I, I wrote for one of them and I wrote about the possibility of. Of self-knowledge through role playing. Yeah. Um, and I yeah, I, I, I. I like the concept people talk about. Um, emergent narrative that's that's found its way into gaming um, but that's that's a con that's a concept in in hermeneutics that's a concept in the philosophy of understanding the idea that um, you know when you read a when you engage in dialogue when you read a book that a subject matter is emerging through that engagement um, yeah. and and role-playing just seems to me to be the the a, a really sort of um, visceral example of that you know that the back and forth the back and forth with a reading a book is quite abstract um, the back and forth in the back and forth of, of of dialogue has been likened to a to a dance or a game or a pas de deux and I think that's what's that's what's happening in role playing there is that um, back and forth in which something something is emerging and uh, that's what really really excites me I, th- I think there's a possibility in that back and forth um, that you well, you discover your character. Your character emerges through that yeah. through that process, through the decisions that you make. You you realise things about your character as you make decisions that you, you know, that you didn't write into their backstory, yeah. which I think is fantastic. Um, and I think there's the possibility that, in much the same way, you realise things about yourself through making those decisions. Um, so I yeah, I, I really think gaming is a really uh, it's an educational, it's an educational experience. There's a possibility of self-education through yeah. gaming. That's often to mean gaming would be really useful as a teaching aid, yeah. which I think, we, you know, and, and I think once you've done that, you've really misunderstood the whole idea of a game. Um, so I think lots of people that want to use games educationally, uh, I, I can understand why you'd be motivated to do that but they, they pretty soon stop being games. Kids and gaming with them. Um, I watch them discover more about themselves. Uh, yeah. And I think that's kind of, if I'm right, that's what you're kind of touching on. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the kid who kind of plays a thief and experiments with what that means. I think psychologically that's interesting. And I think they, they perhaps learn about themselves and what their, what their limits and, their, and what their ideals are and all sorts of things through play you know yes um right so d percentile podcast you set that up to be about all about rolling stuff up on random tables and yes. um, whilst you've diverged off from that here and there to great amusement um so yeah straight up first question what makes a random table useful for a gm yeah so it's as a as a so i have a pho- maybe other people don't have this experience but i have a phobia of the blank page mm-hmm. Um, you know, so whether you've whether you've got a lovely pristine page in the notepad, I've got so many lovely pristine <laughs> notepads, um, or or whether you've opened up a, a 
a file on the computer and you're good to go. You've got your hour and a half. You've got a bit of time tonight. Tonight is when you're going to plan the session mm -hmm. and you look at the blank page and you could do anything. You could go anywhere. Your imagination's boundless. You've got loads of ideas. Which one do you start with? Then you might get something down. What direction are you going to take it in? And, uh, you know, you, you, you suffer from being too imaginative, too mm -hmm. unlimited. So I find if I set myself some simple rules, um, I'm going to roll on this table and I'm going to stick you with a little bit of discipline. You have to say, I'm going to stick with what I get. Then actually you've, you, you've got the thing started. You're off the ground um, and you've given yourself something to get your imagination around rather than just staring at that blank. I spend a lot of time staring at blank pages. <laughs> um, and, and I find if you, if you then, if you then, uh, you know, if you then have a bit of discipline about it, I find that what you're doing, you talk about, you talk about self-play. Yeah. I think what you're doing is something in between self-play and planning. You know, there is a, there's, there's, there are surprises to be had because you don't know what you're going to roll. You don't know where it's going to go. So your planning becomes an emergent experience, yeah. which is quite enjoyable and, and actually gives you some of what, you're role playing for you know that's what i said i enjoy in the sessions i enjoy in the session saying oh i didn't i didn't know we were going in that direction i didn't know this was going to happen and i think if i if i can get some of that in my in my planning then that's what i want so that so the the random table is is a, a stand in in the absence of a of a of a muse or a more kind of a more kind of insistent idea i mean if you've really got an idea that's been insistent and you've just got to get it out then then you don't need the random table. Um, but it's still useful because quite often you sketch out the contours of your dungeon, you know your key rooms, you know, you know you've got all of that done and then you think, well, maybe I haven't got enough or what if they go in that direction? I want some variation. And then again, I think that random table can be really good to stock, um, stock rooms with treasure um, or other other sort of likely local monsters i find it really tedious to come up with with um you know to, to stock rooms with with what's there to be searched and 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 found um my players always want to search every single corpse what's on the corpse <laughs> i love a i love a, a random loot table mm -hmm. um, but sometimes doing that on the spot is just a little bit too random i don't mind i quite like um, having to having to improvise on the fly, um, but but I'm happy enough if I've stocked the loot in advance, but I haven't had to think too hard about what it was. Mm. It's a sort of prompting process. That's what you're. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then you've got to decide. You've got to decide how disciplined you want to be, because of course you can just ignore. You can just ignore what you've rolled and, and roll something else or put something else in anyway. Yeah. But there's also a fun to be had from saying, no, I'm going to I'm going to stick with all of these details and I'm going to find a way that they're going to fit together. Or if you haven't got time, then and I mentioned this on, on, on my podcast, then just leaving it over to the players yeah. and they can, they can work it all out. I think that that works better with more experienced players with with new players. I don't want things to be too sort of mysterious to them. If you, you know, especially if you if you've got to learn the tropes of the world, then you know you want your you want your your dungeons and their experiences to be reasonably consistent with them for a while. But once you got once you got players that that 
that that know the tropes they know they know if you're going down in a dungeon you're going to have a 10-foot pole and you're going to want to poke things and stuff like that then those players they will they will treat any surprising circumstance as a mystery rather than an incongruence mm. um, so so uh, yeah so i don't think too hard about dungeon ecology I, and i really enjoy just breaking all of those rules and i think it comes from gaming in the 90s where people did enjoy writing pages and pages of text about how to do things you know pages and pages of rules about not metagame thinking and all this kind of stuff you used to see yeah. and i just remember reading over and over and over again you know make sure your dungeon has a has a well thought through ecology think really carefully about why the creatures are going to be there i took it really seriously for years yeah. and now i'm just enjoying <laughs> being free from that yeah i was saying actually i, I found that very stifling in the end you know um you try it but and the weird thing is you know the more almost the, the less i worry about it the more my players seem unfussed <laughs> right right yeah and i i've got to, I, actually i've got to give i don't hear many people talking about numenera on anchor it's not a particularly sort of i don't think the osr is particularly involved with numenera but um but but it was it was playing and running Numenera that really sort of freed me up to do it because that that game makes an, makes a virtue of leaving those gaps. Yeah. You have to leave those gaps. It's not weird unless you leave those gaps. Yeah. And it seems to me that the you know the the weirder elements of of, of OSR fantasy as well you know are, are better for having those gaps. Mm. Mm. All right, so talking random tables. Um... I think it would be sort of thinking about the types of tables that a GM might want to consider. Have you got a sort of top three types of thing to to get out there and use? Uh, so I've mentioned loot tables yeah. because that, I, I think that is the, the best thing to have a random table for. The amount of time, you know, it, it got so I just would be furious when players would say, what's on the corpse? I need yeah. the corpse. Um, so that that one is solved <laughs> by having, and, you, and just as many as you can, um, you don't want to be bound by just having one or two. So loot tables, definitely. Yeah. Um, I've, I've had a go. My dream is to get a really good dungeon design table, a really good table for, for procedurally designing dungeons. They, they sort of, you always end up having to make calls. Yeah. Um, and I mean, they, they all, they all do their job. They all get you started. Um, but they don't quite. Um, what one day I'd like to I'd like to run a game that was pretty much sort of procedurally generated on the spot, yeah. sort of like a roguelike. I mentioned it on an early description of the of the podcast, but I haven't really talked about it. Um, sort of a roguelike RPG experience where you really did sort of build up the dungeon as you went. Um, so I'm always looking for for good dungeon design tables good procedural yeah um, tables but i'm i'm not sure i've found the one and um, i find that they're either too light or too too detailed yes um yeah. one extreme or the other um yeah <laughs> um but they're, they can, they're fun I, I you know in terms of like self-play solo play um i think i'm gravitating towards using those sorts of tools you know at the table um, right <sighs> Whether he could bridge that into at the session, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I thought I've been I've been thinking about a, 
and I've been a bit inspired by Thirteenth Age here. I thought if you were gonna if you were gonna do a sort of roguelike tabletop experience, because there would be a couple of rules that you would, you know, a couple of gamey rules that you'd have to tie into your game world. So so Thirteenth Age has got this idea that that well, of the living dungeon. Yeah. These living dungeons and they change shape and they move around and they absolutely don't need any explanation for why they're there. They just kind of turn up. Yeah. Um, and I thought if you if you built into your game world this idea that you're, you're never going to step into the same dungeon twice. Um, so you have to worry about going back into a dungeon. If you go back to the dungeon, it might have the same key rooms, but it's going to be regenerated from scratch. Yeah. I thought that would be quite quite cool anyway I, th I think we're probably straying again you were asking me about types of random tables yes do you mean in prep or just in general in prep i think um yeah. that's where we're starting anyway um so yeah i love um i love generating monsters randomly and there have been some really good uh really good random monster generators so what do you mean by that do you mean like something more than a random monster encounter table yeah no i mean i mean building the monster from scratch mm -hmm. so i was using uh recently because john allen large used it on red dice diaries the elegant creature generator mm -hmm. um, but there's a few of these about and some of the rule books have got these in where you you randomly generate your monster features mm -hmm. um I, li I like this with a with a rules like game i don't really want to be mucking about with too many stats mm -hmm. um but I really like, uh, yeah. The other thing to me, once I've got my, once I've got my, well, it depends which direction you want to start in. But quite often, your your session theme can be your monster. Yeah. So, so if I'm looking for inspiration, I might start rolling a random monster. Um, I've collected quite a few of those now. <laughs> those tables. Um, That's a big thing you like about Black Cack as well, isn't it? Well, I mean. All of this stuff works better, I think, with a rules-like game. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the black hack, all you need really is is a number of hit dice for your monster. Um, and uh, and then maybe one rule. No no monster in the black hack has got more than two rules over and above their hit dice. Um, and I think they're sufficiently interesting. Um, and I think that encourages you to come up with more and more unique monsters, um, which is something else I like about the sort of dungeon crawl classic idea that there aren't, you know, there aren't, um, you know, that you're not going to beat goblins and know what goblins are like or meet orcs and know yeah. what orcs are like. You know, every, every, every race of goblins is going to have its own story and going to be its own thing. Yeah. Um, and beasts are going to tend to be one-off um, rare and unusual creatures. And I just think it's much, much easier to come up with more and more of those if uh, if you're using a rules light system, so actually, fifth edition D and D was really generous in how much of, how much it gave away in the in the Dungeon Master's Guide about monster design. Mm. Um, earlier editions, like full third and, and third edition, it was actually quite hard. You actually know the game pretty well to feel confident to do monster design. But fifth ed gave away a lot in terms of monster design, but still it was so fiddly and so complicated. I like a rules light. <laughs> okay so recapping you've got you've got monster table you've got loot table um are we counting the, the dungeon i don't know so is there a third type of table uh yeah so um stocking settlements 
Yeah. Uh, I like, again, that's something I find quite tedious to do. So I like having my lists of, lists of professions, lists of, um, lists of, uh, you know, buildings and their purposes. Uh, I like having NPC, NPC names, Mm -hmm. uh, NPC motivations is quite fun um, to do on the fly. I quite enjoy having to having to role play a quirk that I've just just discovered mm-hmm. in play. That's quite good fun. Um, Is there any kind of particular table type that you consider to be a waste of time? Um, hmm. Oh, I hadn't thought about that one. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's weird, isn't it? Like the things that we we see a table, we assume it must be useful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what tables tables there that you're never going to roll on? I don't know. I'll never say never. Okay. So I might come back to that one. I might yeah, that's fair enough. Look, um, we've talked a little bit about, you know, using random tables and why they might be useful. I, I got the impression from you, you feel that using a random table is more fun than not using them. Um, is that fair? Um, at the moment, that is fair. At this time in my... But, but I kind of... I, so I quite often mock my younger self, my younger, I'm just looking now, actually, I'm in my room and I'm looking across to all of my, I've got an extensive World of Darkness collection. Yeah. Um, got all my Palladium stuff up here as well. I carried these books around with me for years. Um, and there was a time when, when just this was a, this was a part of gaming. I, I virtually wouldn't have even considered the random table to be part of role-playing. Yeah. so firmly entrenched in those books that define themselves against this other kind of experience miniatures it took me years to understand why anybody would use miniatures and then with third edition i got an idea of what what yeah. miniatures could be about um so so for a while i would not have touched a random table i would have associated it with that stuff dungeons and dragons yes we we know what dungeons and dragons is i used to say but we don't do that because we're this is a storytelling game this is about you know this is about understanding where the characters are coming from having a having a deep sort of complex narrative and yeah the, where i am in my gaming and this this is something i associate with the osr revival although i i came late to the older editions of Dungeons and Dragons, but I, but I, that, that, that's where I am. Yeah, that I, I, I really enjoy the. Just recapping a lot of the things I've said, I enjoy um, low prep. So the random table helps with saving time on prep. But I also enjoy. I suppose this comes with being more confident as a GM as well, and having dealt with more over the years on the table. I, yeah. I quite enjoy being surprised by things. Um, I, yeah, I, I think it is as a result of having, you know, how. Um, so I, I used to be an RE teacher and Buddhism, <laughs> Buddhism was particularly appealing to lapsed Catholics who had always associated religion. So the Western Buddhist order in, in, in the UK, mm-hmm. a significant proportion of lapsed Catholics who associated religion with a particular kind of form of worship and a particular kind of morality and then found their way to to Buddhism. And it's a completely different kind of religious experience. Yeah. And um, that that's where I am with my gaming. I just spent so long playing these, these sort of very, very serious, um, you know, artistically valuable, artistically earnest storytelling games. And, and I, I, I've enjoyed building in, building back in some gaminess. Yeah. Um, 
you know, they're all gamey at heart. You know, at the end of the day, you want to be surprised by things and that's why you roll the dice. Yeah. So I've just sort of, I've, I've, I've embraced the, the number of things I'm prepared to be surprised by. So I'm, I'm happy to give over much more of the narrative direction to, to the dice. Um, and, and random tables are, are emblematic of that, I think. Mm. Okay. It's very honest of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, thinking about particular products, really, I mean, I always think it's useful, especially for people coming into back to the hobby or whatever, to sort of point them in a direction or two. Have you got any particular products that you, you know, you strongly recommend or you find yourself returning to? Yes. Um, cool. Yeah. So I've talked a lot about dungeon design. But of course, mm-hmm. there are lots of other kind of role-playing experiences. You might want scenario design. And I mentioned on one of my podcasts, but I, I'm always coming back to um, the the various Savage Worlds properties, the Pinnacle Games books. Yeah. And numerous of those have, have um, complete adventure designers in the back. Um, and they seem to be, to me, they're just sort of the right level of crunchy they're not too involved they don't have too many branch points um and actually i find them quite um quite an inspiration to do something similar they they all seem to be quite genre specific they're quite mm. distinct from each other um and yeah I, th- I think it was when i saw those when i started getting into savage worlds that i that i i think it was those that showed me the possibility really of of using tables for for planning so i'd always point people towards uh which ones have got them in there so definitely pirates of the spanish main has got a good one Mm -hmm. um the solomon kane core book i think this is brilliant the solomon kane property that they've got um has got a uh an adventure generator for generating solomon kane style stories um pretty sure it has but many of them have um and i think they're really inspiring so i always recommend those yep. um, just check because they haven't all got them but just check they're, they're worth looking at um and and of course we we've got to give props to the tome of adventure design <laughs> yeah even though it is for me that is just it it's too much on the daunting side um but um but it, it is the yeah, if, you, if you've ever thought, oh, this random table thing, as I, as I did at one point, I know <laughs> you could make a book of these and you could gather them. And then I found Tome of Adventure Design and I realized there was no need for anyone ever to do that again, really. It's just an yeah. amazing, it's an amazing thing. Um, and then all the way in the other direction, I've raved about this plenty on the podcast, but it's the, it's the Black Hack, which, yeah. which excels, I think, in giving you just enough, just enough to get going i mean you, you really don't need although it's deeper centile and there is something really satisfying about looking at 100 options mm. um, you don't need 100 options um you know if you if you've rolled on one d100 table you've just got one outcome and you probably didn't need 100 outcomes you probably could have made do with 20 and if you're going to roll on loads of tables again they don't need to have 100 outcomes on them some could have 10 some could have 20 some could have six and you're still going to come out all right. So I think the black hack does that really well. I also um, I like the thing in the black hack about you roll a d4, d6, d8, d10, and a d12. It's neat. Yeah, it's, it's a neat. neat little thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. I've only just seen ICRPG. Lots of people on Anchor were recommending ICRPG, and yep. there's quite a lot of um, quite a lot of random random tables in there that that I think are I could spend some time with. They look quite fun. Yeah. 
What about players then? Is there any benefit for random tables when it comes to being a player? Well, so I got, I was asked this on the podcast, you know, what, how might players use random tables? Um, and I don't think I got, I don't think I got all the way to the question. I mean, I, I've never tried it. Um, mm. I, yeah, I, suppo- I suppose, I mean, I suppose a player could, if they were lacking inspiration, they could use one of these, you know, one of these engines that there are for solo play. I mean, I know you've used some of those that yeah. will that will point you in a particular direction. But that that seems to me, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what the player's doing if they were if they were using something like that. I suppose. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm thinking about it, I suppose the the most likely place for a random table is character creation. Yeah. You yeah. know, like your Cyberpunk 2020 yeah. life path. You know. Yeah. Or yeah. whatever. And and these are really good fun. I mean, you, tra- traveler, you know, I've rolled I've rolled mm. on some traveler tables on the. I mean, I, I think that's just a great uh, a great experience. It's not what you want to do for every character, um, yeah, for every game. But I think that's just a fantastic experience. Just yeah. let, letting the dice tell you where. And it depends what you're going to do. Again, if you if you thought you were going to travel, is an interesting game anyway because. You know, once you've made your character, there isn't really very much in the way of advancement. Yeah. Um, that's just what you are pretty much from then. Um, but I, I must admit, I've, I've spent a lot more time rolling on those character creation tables than I have actually playing Traveller. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. Um, <laughs> it's one of my favourite games of all time. Yes. Um, yeah. But I've spent more time rolling tables and not actually at the table, if you know yeah. what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, tra- tra- Traveller's got so much other, I mean, it's got so much other good stuff anyway. It's got, you know, you, your randomly generated um, areas as well. I mean, it's fantastic. Yeah. You really can. Um, you can do all of that. Um, but other things for the players, other things for the players, I, I, I think, apart from that, I mean, some, some classes then, are, some classes have got quite swingy elements. Mm. Um, I think there was a, what was it, a chaos mage or something like that, a chaos sorcerer in 13th age. Yeah. Um, the virtue of which is that, you know, pretty much your abilities are going to take you to random tables or they're going to, they're going to be quite swingy, so you don't, you don't ever quite know what's going to happen. Yeah. That's a brilliant thing about the spell system in Dungeon Crawl Classics. I really enjoy that. Um, yeah. Every spell having its own random table. That's quite fun for the players, I think, and for the GM as well. Um, I'm just thinking um, with the kids, they quite enjoyed the old school thing of you know when you're creating a character, you're doing a wizard or you're doing a cleric, sorry, magic user or cleric. Mm-hmm. Um, they're rolling up their their spells randomly. You know what's in their yeah. spell book. Um, yeah. Which you know a lot of I know a lot of um, experienced players will be bulking now and screaming at us, but um, you know discover what you've got. Yes. Yeah. And here, here's another thing I. Random tables are an, are an alternative to really carefully balanced character options. Mm. So some games make a virtue of, of, of really carefully balancing everything that each individual class has got or all the abilities of the different races. Um, something I've noticed in a couple of games, I think it might be in Shadow of the Demon Lord. Mm-hmm. In Shadow of the Demon Lord, the races, I think you roll for your racial for your racial traits. So instead of each, I think it's Shadow of the Demon Lord that I'm thinking of. So instead of each race getting a sort of standard balanced or not 
bonus to this and penalty to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a range of things, and then you roll randomly on that. And when, once you once you're having a couple of rolls on a random table, then you've got a, you've got a different kind of character creation experience where where that balance doesn't seem to be so important. Mm. And I saw another game. I think. I think it might have been a game, a medieval fantasy game by the RPG Pandit, where where when you when you levelled up, the benefits you got from levelling up were randomly rolled, which actually I thought was a pretty good idea. So again, some some levels you get a really good benefit, and some levels it wouldn't be so good. But there wasn't such a concern that all the classes are, are, are nicely balanced out. Okay. Um... I just wanted to ask the the question about motivation. Really, how do you keep yourself motivated um, as GM? Um, yeah, good. So I really make an effort for my sessions to end. Mm-hmm. Um, w- what I mean by that is, <laughs> I I. It's nice if you plan. I mean, if you've got a mega dungeon and you you, you know it's going to take hours and hours and hours to get through this dungeon, then it's not so easy to do. But I, I'm increasingly liking the idea of the sort of the one page dungeon, the bounded experience, and then and then you make sure that you bring it to a close so that you're not. One of the things I've found can kill the motivation a bit for me is I'm is if I'm trying to pick up a session halfway through. I've got to remind all the characters what their priorities were. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got to sort of work out which bits of my notes are still relevant and what's changed. And I found my life is very much easier if I, if I just, you know, even if I, even if I then finish early, you know, we've got another hour, but we're not going to go on. Yeah. Because I, you know, I've come to an end point and that means next time we play, you know, we can, we can set the stakes again pretty quickly um, so, so that's why I think, I mean, all these things that we've always known about dungeon design, all these years where I went saying, oh, you know, going down in a dungeon, that's a bit old fashioned. That's what like, we used to do in gaming. But all of those things, um, I'm, I'm embracing the, you know, this, uh, a small area so that we can pretty much go in, get what we want, come out again. Um, and a good reason why we wouldn't. So, so I'm not massively excited by these big dungeon locations, which you keep keep going back to delve into um unless the unless the new reason to delve is is sufficiently distinct from from the other one mm-hmm. um so so yeah i i really try to have a have a, a a bounded aim for the session and then and and make sure that we get to an end point even if that means and that, increasingly what it means is we might finish a little bit earlier than mm. we to that um that gels quite well with this sort of open table thing that I've spoken about in the past. Yeah. It's it's difficult to get people to a table. So yeah. when you get them to the table, make sure it's a complete experience. And right. Yeah. Next time, if they're not all there, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um you you feel that that's all a benefit for you as well. Yes, I really do. I really do. And that's something I talked about this on my Numenera podcast. That's something I, I, I came to from playing Numenera. Um that that what really killed the the sort of mystery and weirdness of the game world was having these um, these plot threads that almost became mundane. You know, oh, there's still that issue that we've got to deal with. Um, we may go off and do that. We may not. But at, you know, having having 
a, a weird event, um, a strange occurrence, needs investigating today and will get resolved as much as it's ever going to get resolved today and there'll be another weird event next time. Um, really kept that really kept that going. And that's the same, I think, for, for, for an OSR game really um that I, I mean i've listened to i've listened to some anchorite podcasts really about um about having whole sessions devoted to shopping um which is really cool but i'm not i'm not in a place with a with a kind of long-running game where i can afford a session devoted to shopping um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean exactly what you say every every session needs to be its own story and you know and never save it if i know if i know there's going to be you know, a ninja attack or an amazing beast or whatever is coming in this session. <laughs> <laughs> Dave's been brilliant. Thank you. Have you got any last words for the listener? Yeah. So I, yeah. So at, at the moment I'm saying the, the game that is suiting the experience that I'm trying to go for is the black hack. So I'm just recommending people to, to check out the black hack. I have no, I have no attachment to the company. I'm not paid to say that, <laughs> um, but I'm just, I'm just really keen to hear more about what people are doing with that system. Dave, thanks so much for your time. And with all, even with all the dropping in and out from anchor, you know, it's been a fab chat. Oh yeah. Great to talk to you, Che. I hope you've got something good there that you can use and uh, yeah, look forward to talking again. Hi, Che. Quick correction. The game I was thinking of where you rolled your racial traits at character creation was not Shadow of the Demon Lord. I just looked in the book. It was the age system, of course. Shadow of the Demon Lord is, is a wonderful game, but it's not the one I was thinking of. I was thinking of Fantasy Age. That's it for this episode. I want to say a big thank you to Dave Aldridge of the Deeper Centile podcast. Good conversation and hopefully you'll agree many useful suggestions for your gaming as ever please do share your thoughts by calling in and remember roleplay rescue is brought to you through the generous support of our patreon patrons if you'd like what we're doing please consider throwing a dollar in the chip jar thanks for listening it's really great to have been lent your ears my name is che webster and i hope you join me again next time game on